Hello. Hello. I'm Grace. And I'm Adela. And we're Dragon Babies. Dragon Babies. We reread our favorite YA fantasy classics and discuss why they may be even better for adults. Yes. This week, okay, the book has two names, <laughs> so I get a little confused. Our copy is The Seven Songs of Merlin. It is now called Merlin Book Two, colon, The Seven Songs, <laughs> which sounds like a uh, an action thriller yeah, sequel. It's <laughs> funny. By T.A. Barron. This is the second book in the Merlin saga, which is like a gigantic series at this point. And T.A. Barron is still publishing new books under that umbrella. Um, I think it has something like 12 books at the moment. And when I looked at his website, the most recent one is called Giant. And it's the story of Shim's experience as a youth oh my it's the gosh. last years of shim it's oh <laughs> amazing so it's that's like shim cool. fan fiction no exactly <laughs> it's very cute the cover is super funny it's like a computer drawn um little shim with the silhouette of silhouette of his later Big giant shim. body yeah. behind him oh my gosh very cute and we covered the first book, The Lost Years of Merlin, um, like back in the summer. We're, we're, we're turning to this series very quickly, but that's because Madeline loves Merlin and also uh, birds, nature, um, bread towns. <laughs> I think these all emo fit. jesters, emo jesters, um, protagonists who are just so teen angsty that they won't finish bringing all the flowers back oh to life. Oh my god, Merlin. They're gonna find their mummy. <laughs> King of avoiding the main quest so hard this, that you know, it goes away and he gets a completely new main quest. You know this entire book technically is side quests. Yeah. I was thinking about that on the last page. I was like, and we're finally done. I should go back to the Dark Hills. <laughs> it was reminding me of some of the more egregious side quests from a variety of Zelda games yeah. where you are like 20 steps deep and you're like bringing a flute to an old man and then you're like, wait, what What am I doing? Like, what <laughs> is my goal? <laughs> I have no idea. I don't... Uh, there, There's a really long quest in uh, Green of Time. I think it's to yeah. get the Bigoron yes. sword. That is exactly what I was thinking about. Yeah. But you have to there's a ton of do timed. different steps. Exactly. You, there's a lot of time stuff. You have to do different steps as a kid versus an adult. Yeah. So you're also time traveling throughout. You yeah. have to bring like the special water over the entire like Hyrule field. Like you have to go from like Helia to it's really far deep in the Goron mountain yeah. like it, it's just so silly there's an eyeball frog and there's a scientist an the scientist is so weird one yeah. of the strangest parts of that whole game yeah I I do of course obsessed with Zelda corner here we go yeah. um obsessed with tears of the kingdom and breath of the wild but I do miss some of the the pieces of the older Zelda games that felt like kind of undone in a way where it's like hey we came up with this really weird character i guess we'll just like put him in a quest and the rest yeah. of the time he's just like creepy just hanging out there's that like giant pool in his it is yep. uh, he has a very disturbing lab that seems to have like human body parts yeah. suspended in it yeah. and he just like lives on the lake for no reason um gross gross <laughs> anyway <laughs> merlin 
This book is one that Madeline loved as a babe. And this series, I I think I've only encountered the the first book prior to to this year of mm. Merlin potting, um, and we I feel like we're just being like really Merlin-y recently. But I'm into it. Like, give me some Celtic lore. Yeah, I truly will suck it all up and say thank you. Can I please have some more? <laughs> no, I mean totally. I you know, and the Arthurian legend is. Basically, we have no history of the Celtic people, so Mm -hmm. the ways in which it influenced mythology is some of the only, like, hallmarks of it that we can still experience. So for that alone, I really like Arthurian legend. Good stuff. Yeah. And also, it's it's always more fun for me to be spending time with the the wizards of lore rather than the fighters and kings mm-hmm. um, yeah i yeah. am much more intrigued by magic than by warring so let's get into it we do thoroughly spoil every book that we cover if you haven't read this before or want a refresher skedaddle along and check it out there is a great audiobook Read by Kevin Isold. Is that right? Yep. Kevin Kevin Isola is the audiobook performer. And there's also a widely accessible ebook. I got it through the library. So check, check, check it out. All right. So the series has been reconfigured and repackaged with the style of art that we really dislike on YA fantasy, um, which is like generic symbols, like a sword with some green flame around the edges. Mm -hmm. But the childhood versions of these books have gorgeous, gorgeous covers that each depict a moment from the story. This one shows Merlin looking like very romance novel-y. I know. Um, He's 13. Yeah. (laughs) His shirt is like open almost to his belly button and his neck veins are bulging. Yeah. And Um, you can see the definition in like his shoulder and pec muscles. (laughs) Yeah. That's a defined pec. (laughs) And he's holding his sword aloft as he confronts Baylor, that's his name, right? The Baylor. Baylor. Um, Baylor, the one-eyed ogre that guards the gate to the other world. And Baylor has his little hand outstretched Rawr. and he's going, <laughs> I love his face. It's actually very cute. It is cute. <laughs> I know. I would love a gargoyle that had that face. <laughs> yes. It would be adorable. With the little hand too. Just uh-huh. be like, hey, <laughs> what get you you <laughs> And Baylor is also looking pretty jacked. <laughs> Yeah, lots of <laughs> lots of muscle tone yeah, on this cover, <laughs> and then he has a like sk- human skull codpiece or belt buckle, right. <laughs> one of the uh, one or the other. Well, and there's also a chain hanging from it. Oh yeah, because <laughs> at first I was like, did Merlin have like a handcuff on? But he doesn't. Doesn't make sense. Oh yeah. It's so anyway, part of Baylor's belt. I I don't know who, who illustrated this because it's we don't have the copy with us, but they went hard, and I love it. I think it's interesting that because they said he's an ogre with one eye. So without the cover, I would have imagined that he'd lost an eye. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they would just call him a cyclops. Right. I wonder about that too. But a cyclops is specifically more humanoid. 
right? A cyclops is like a giant man with one eye, whereas an ogre it, it is more consistent with what we're seeing here with the horns and like the ridged skull and stuff. I suppose. The eye still throws me off. Okay. <laughs> Madeline doesn't like that. <laughs> but yeah, I let it be known. His little mouth, he looks like Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just think he's so cute. <laughs> Wallace of Wallace and Gromit, yeah. for those who may not understand. Jeez. Jeez. I just found a little Wallace action figure that I put on my up in my office. Oh, lovely. So he's Good hanging call. out with me now. So overall, yeah, I, I love these covers. I really appreciate whenever a lot of adoring attention is given to any book series that I enjoy. And like I said, this artist really had their way with it. And the result is excellent. And Merlin looks raggedy, like, except for his pop and bod. Well, but yes, <laughs> I mean, you have to stay hot. <laughs> But his even if you're in the midst of a perilous adventure, uh, yes. But his like tunic is all ragged. Maybe that's why it's open because it's literally falling apart. Yeah, um, and he's, he's been got like a lot by that point. Raggedy adventuring boots, and he's got a big old patch on his knee, and one of his boots is missing a chunk of leather. I was really mad when he did that. I was like, dude, do it when you get back home, okay? Like you need your boots right now. Yeah, we'll get into that in pretend food, but Merlin does take a bite out of one of his boots as a promise, as the, the result of a promise. The, um, what do you call it, handle on his sword is so long, I'm just realizing. I guess it's technically a two-handed sword, but he's not currently using it as one. Yeah, it's it's a giant sword, and also this sword that is that that he is he like forms right. He yeah, like, uh, he he sees it in the bread house. <laughs> oh, the land of bread! Oh my god, um, slant slantos—that's what it's called, right? I don't remember. Um, and uh, then, like, calls it to himself, and it becomes all gleaming and perfect, and he takes it on. But it is Excalibur, right? Because there's, like, this big moment of this sword would be wielded by others and pulled from a stone by, mm -hmm. an, like, yeah. another legend. And so this sword has places to be. <laughs> Yeah, which I guess. is why it's given such attention in the drawing, I think. Yeah, and Arthur's gonna steal it from him, I guess, or maybe he whips it into a lake, and then he's like, "Go get it, Arthur." <laughs> We're not here to get into Excalibur. <laughs> it's not our business right now. <laughs> so let's get into a plot summary. I'm gonna do a great job at this. The, the plot goes all over the place. Yeah, it's it's very much a... Uh, it, uh, there's a reason we talked about video games immediately. Um, because it does kind of read <laughs> it, like one. It, like, I say this every book that we do, but this one in particular, it was so video gamey. Like, as you said, it's a whole side quest and like... There are seven specific things he mm -hmm. has to do in seven distinct places. Yeah. There's some fast travel, even there is yeah. <laughs> a giant born fast travel. And there's like lots of old characters that pop up for just yep. a tiny bit to help. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He has his adventuring party of like your, you know, steadfast, important companion and then your source of comic relief. Like, yeah, his, his companion or his party consists of 
himself as the wizard like slash fighter mm-hmm. and then he's got the druid mm-hmm. and the worst bard that has ever barded <laughs> yeah i have like complex feelings about um bumblewee bumblewee <laughs> I, I thought it was bumblebee at first <laughs> I I actually love Bumblebee. <laughs> no, yeah, I I enjoy him. No, I I really enjoy him as well. Um, he's he's a more he's a more nuanced character than you at first suspect. Yeah. So we we pick up pretty much right after the events of the first book, and it's now Merlin's job to take the flowering harp, one of the other like important treasures that appeared in a set um, in this in this series, mm-hmm. another video gamey component, which he has to use to bring life back to the dark hills, which are all dried up and ruined as a result of Rita Gar's horrible deeds. And he just gets like assigned to this task. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he also, you know, he has some like stirrings of wizardry in him, although he isn't really a wizard yet and he doesn't really feel like one but he's he can yield the flowering harp he can do it so this is his very 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 important job because if they don't bring life back to the hills then Rita Gower will triumph the next time that he rises so naturally he immediately ditches the entire yeah, quest so of course <laughs> Merlin is like it's so funny the way it happens that he's like yeah, wow, bringing life back to the hills. This is pretty great. And he's like, but you know what would be better? If I could see my mommy. <laughs> he's obsessed with his mother. <laughs> Their relationship is so strange. Yeah. He, in the first book, like he comments on how growing up, he would never call her mother because he didn't believe that she yeah, he like hates her. was his mom. But he also understands why she couldn't go into his past because his dad was like the big bad mm-hmm. um, who he triumphed over in the first book. But now he's decided that he needs to be around her. Yeah. Um, so he immediately shirks his task. And in spite of everyone, he comes across being like, why aren't you out in the hills? If you don't do this, we're all going to perish. Yeah. And Merlin's like, I want to see my mom. I'm 13. <laughs> it's very funny. He ultimately, thanks to a wise seashell who helps him. <laughs> Who screws him, basically? Well, first there's like a mean shell and then there's a wise shell. And he manages to call his mother forth. And she appears on the shore, um, immediately is overtaken by a shadow that comes out of a flower that she sniffs and passes into her body. Immediately. And it's pretty clear that it is a death shroud and she will die within four moon phases, I think is what they say. Oh, I thought one month. <clears throat> right. But they say four. Well, I guess four moon, moon phases, phases which, which yeah. is one yeah. month. Yeah. Um, and so Merlin's like, great. An- another excuse to avoid my main quest even further, because now in order to save her, I have to go get the seven songs. I have to learn the soul of the seven songs. <laughs> and I'm, I'm not going into detail. I'm like all the no, people that tell yeah. him how to do this and like what he has to do, because it's not important. <laughs> 
And he sets out to begin this quest with two companions. One is Rhea, who we got to know in the first book. And she goes from being really frustrated and annoyed with him for shirking his quest to being like, okay, I will help you with this. I'll keep you alive. The other one is Bumblewee, who is a jester, but a failed one. He is morose. He is mopey. All of his songs are about death. And he... (laughs) I love his songs. He can never make anyone laugh. And he wears a three-cornered hat with bells all around it and is just generally a ridiculous comic figure. So... I guess I'll just give like a brief overview of each of the quests. Um, (laughs) Just like say what the songs are. Here, this is a good testament to Bumblewee. Like the sour taste that stays in your mouth long after biting into a piece of rotten fruit. (laughs) Bumblewee, his bells jangling, stayed by my side. (laughs) For the first one, he has to learn the song of changing and that he gains through a lesson learned by him and Rhea running into a tree lady that betrayed Rhea um in the last book in like such a stupid way too yeah it's very it's very strange and the tree lady is like they told me they wouldn't hurt you because she like gave her up to the goblin warriors and there's a hilarious line where Rhea's like you know you can't trust a goblin warrior. It's yeah. like, yeah, it does seem pretty self-apparent. How stupid are you? But Merlin convinces Rhea to forgive her, um, forgive the tree woman. And through that, he gets a little butterfly that forms, a butterfly rune that forms on his staff. And in that moment, it's when he realizes that he has to learn a very specific lesson for each of the seven songs. And he knows that he's done so when the rune appears on his stuff. So for each of them, he's going to a different place. He gets his butterfly rune. And then next he has to learn the song of binding. And in order to get that one, they go to a really creepy place called the Lake of the Face that I do not wish to visit. (laughs) And he and Rhea both see their deaths when they look into the lake. Good stuff. Then an otter (laughs) shows up (laughs) and hilariously convinces them to tie up Merlin with vines over the course of an entire day. They lose so much time during this critical timed mission. It's completely tying Just tying him up. The whole Merlin. time Rhea being like, I have a bad feeling about this. This is And stupid. Merlin being like, no, the otter knows what to Tie do. Tie me up. <laughs> and then at the end, the otter's like, he <laughs> basically just says like, yes, yeah, I'm leaving. I thought something insidious would happen. And the otter was just like, you know what I stole from you? The most valuable thing of them all, time. Yep. <laughs> and he just dives away. Yep, yep, yep. And the way that Merlin actually learns the soul of the Song of Binding is that he looks up in the sky and he sees two hawks that are soaring by. And then he contemplates how he and Rhea are connected like the two hawks and they have the binding of their hearts. Yeah. That does it. Then he goes into the realm of the dwarves. He learns the song of protecting there. He is shown a little golden 
bug called a light flyer <laughs> that is golden bug <laughs> that is inside a small crystal dome and told that he has to figure out how to protect the light flyer. And there's also a red herring of a giant black stone and a little hammer and chisel. Mm. And so he then wastes a few more days trying to carve a little hole in the stone to put the light flyer into, which just really made no sense to me because it's already in a little stone enclosure. So like, why would they want him to just do the same thing again with a bigger stone? Um, And eventually he realizes that the best way to protect the light flyer is to set it free. Set it free. And he does so, and then he learns the song of protecting. Then they move on to the coolest place in the world, one that I wish I could live in. Um, It's Spreadtown, baby. (laughs) It is the town that makes ambrosia, which is a bread that we discussed (laughs) and loved from the first book. And this town has a flowing starter fountain in the middle of it. Um, so the bread is starter the fountain. bread is always flowing. Everyone is breading. They are making a variety of incredible baked goods at all times. And there's just like ovens everywhere and everyone's really happy. It's great. He has a knife that he's supposed to use to chop some seeds to help with the bread making. And the knife breaks and... This hilarious internal monologue ensues where he's like, there are no other knives. Everyone's using one. I guess I'll have to use that sword that's above the fireplace, but I can't reach the sword. So what am I going to do? And then he manages to like learn the sword's true name and call it to him. And like we said, it gets all gleamy. It gets really excited. And everyone's like, wow. And he breads it up. And then he uh, um, wants to use his sword to chop the seeds, but everyone's like, you're done. You learned the yeah, song. Yeah, go away now. You've accomplished um, nothing when it comes to the bread making assistance, but it seems like you're doing well for yourself. So he doesn't actually bread it up. No, he doesn't. <laughs> seems like he's going to. Um, importantly, Bumblebee uh, eats a ton of the activated starter, mm-hmm. um, which I could tell anyone <laughs> is not a good idea. <laughs> There's so and much bread around and he eats the starter. I know. I, well, because it's the golden, gleaming, flowing fountain that he's so attracted to. And disgustingly, he has dough like all up in his clothes and hair and he was just like slumped over on the side of the fountain so i i didn't like that <laughs> that was gross not my favorite so that's the song of naming he's learned it yeah something else that feels kind of video gaming is like the really random ways in which he gets the songs mm-hmm. that are just kind of um like situational yeah, and it all it it's all structured so that there's one like obvious seeming thing that he has to do for the song, but what he actually needs to do to get it is like quietly reflect mm-hmm. um and then be able to come to a new understanding of himself in the world. And then he gets a little light on his staff and that's, uh, that's how you know. I do. Yeah, I got really jealous of that. After one point, I was like, I wish my personal growth could be reflected in such a tactile way. (laughs) Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice if you could turn and look at your staff and there was like a little happy face that appeared and it's like, I did it. I learned something important. 
you put away all your laundry as soon as you brought it back up for the laundry room. (laughs) Recently, I finally, finally, finally got an earring hanging rack. And as I installed it and then like put my last pair of earrings up, I was looking at it and I, I was like, I where where is there to go from here i think i'm fully (laughs) self-actualized like i've done this thing that felt so insurmountable and i've wanted my entire life and i finally did it at age 36 earring racks Um, are good stuff so i would definitely get a little earring rune uh emblazoned into my stuff at that point nice then it's time to learn the song of leaping and for that, they're sent to a dragon's lair, <laughs> and the dragon is asleep. But the dragon's only like kind of asleep. I think he's under a sleeping spell or something like that. He's um, still like munching in his sleep. Yeah, he's eating in his sleep, eating bones, um, and like grabbing things, and more importantly, laughing because at the dragon. Bumblewee makes the dragon laugh by, as Merlin's being crushed to death um, and about to be eaten, Bumblewee sings a song about him dying, and it is so sad sack that it makes the dragon laugh. I I love it. If I'm perilously dying, call Bumblewee so that he could serenade me with such a song. Oh my God, there's no other way to go out. No. I'm going to have to like get something prepared for my (laughs) final days. That is the song of eliminating because you don't want to take any living thing's life. There are consequences regardless of what you do. So he doesn't want to kill a dragon. He wants to make a dragon laugh. For leaping, which is kind of the most important song, but also the most nebulous in a lot of ways, because leaping actually means like astral projecting, sort of. (laughs) Um, But you can also like affect physical entities with leaping. And that's kind of what he did to get his mom to come to Finkaira. Um and to call her at the beginning of the story. So he he learns about leaping just from talking to a star lady. Um, I have no idea how to pronounce her name. It's spelled Guru, Guri. It's G-W-R-I. I think it is Guri. Guri. Um, Guri of the golden hair. She is a star person that comes <laughs> and talks to them and just kind of like gives him some insights and makes Merlin realize that uh, they're all they're all connected and that's why he can like talk to shells and learn things and and anyway he says uh, throwing a single pebble in the wrong place could start a rock side rock slide the truth is everything is connected to everything else and then he gets his little leaping rune. So from that point on, he he knows that he has a final song that he has to get at the soul of, and it's the song of seeing. In order to do it, he is supposed to go to the Forgotten Island, which is all the way at the other side of Finkaira from where they are. And I feel like they should have done this order a little differently mm-hmm. um, because they happen to be right next to the gate to the other world after the fifth song or the yeah. sixth song. Um, so even though he was warned that if he doesn't do this, all the songs first, he is not only going to 
allow his mother to die, but he'll probably die too. Um, he decides to just plot forward and be like, whatever, I don't care. Um, so he goes to fight Baylor, the ogre that guards the gate to the other world. And in the process, Rhea dies, but yep. Merlin is like, I'm going to inhale her spirit into my body and carry her with me. And maybe I can figure something out. Going to the land of the dead. <laughs> so he brings her body. He brings her spirit inside him, leaves Bumblewee at the gate. Um, I thought that was a good decision. I don't yeah. think Bumblewee should be in the other world. No, I don't no, no, think no, no, no. it's right for him. Did you listen to the audiobook? I listened to some of it. I really liked Bumblewee's um, voice. Yeah, Bumblewee's voice was amazing. Yeah. Uh, the performer was was really, really great. It's just like, I will wait here for you, even though you will not return. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's and and these books I think are challenging to perform. I imagine mm. um, because there are so many characters, yeah, and lots of like, and they're very kooky, right? And lots of weirdos, yeah, <laughs> and like animals that also talk, and yeah, I, I I think he does a really amazing job with it. So he goes into the other world and it's a lot of shifting mists and there's like a misty stare that he's descending. And then a sleepy voice comes out of the mist and it's like, lay down and take a rest. And Merlin's like, okay. And then he's like, wait, no. Okay. No, <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Back all, back all. <laughs> and it turns out to be Rita Gower in a different form than a boar with a scarred leg, which is how we saw him in the first book. He is a, an impeccably groomed, dark-haired man. Um, disturbingly, he does groom himself using his own saliva, and he immediately starts licking his hand and, like, shaping his eyebrows. Just, just demon stuff. Very, very strange. Um, and he gets really grumpy and threatens Merlin and is like, I'm tired of you, little boy. Um, but then trouble, his hawk, his Great hawk friend who was magnificent part of the first book yeah. who is dead well and truly dead but he's hanging out in the other world and he comes and helps merlin and he turns into a vapor um, because he drops mistletoe around his neck and Rhea had told him this was another quest item that he ignored and failed to get <laughs> that if he had mistletoe he could go immediately to dogda and that he'd be safe i can't so, believe he didn't get like the game's worst ending for <laughs> i know screwed stuff up so bad no, yeah <laughs> us finishing the um it was it the harry potter and the chamber of secrets game <laughs> <laughs> the playstation <laughs> Slytherin won the house cup. The PlayStation Harry Potter game. No matter what we did, we got to the end and Slytherin won. It's because we got caught sneaking so much. We lost so many points. More beans. <laughs> anyway. Um, great game. Great game. There are some good YouTube videos of playthroughs. Yeah. yeah. Call Me Kevin has a great one. So... Trouble drops the crucial mistletoe around his neck. He turns into a vapor, and then they all surge upwards and away from Rita Gar, who's basically just, like, shaking his fist and saying, I'll get you <laughs> next time, you meddling kids. And he is zoomed to <clears throat> the soul tree, which is a very cool 
upside down tree that's growing from the heavens above down into the other world. It's like Yggdrasil. And it has dewdrops all over it. Very pretty. And there's a little old man there just kind of looking at him. And Merlin's like, um, I'm here to see Dogda. And the old man's just like, hmm. And then Merlin's like, oh, hi. <laughs> I didn't recognize Hello, you. Dogda. <laughs> and he tells him about all the souls of the songs. He shows that he succeeded in his side quest. <laughs> and importantly, he gained the song of seeing's true soul as he was looking down at Rhea's little dead body. Um, they also, is it after she dies that she tells them they're siblings? No, it's as she was, as she's, dying. as she's dying, she also tells him that they are siblings. They're actually twins. And, and young Madeline is like, whoa, not cool. Yeah. We'll, I, let's talk about that in the romantic realism section. Unfortunately. There is, there are definitely vibes between the two of them, I, I have to say. Turns out they were just sibling vibes. Just a, just a Star Wars situation yeah. all over again. Yeah. Um, and yeah, they they share both parents. They're twins. <laughs> not not half siblings even. Um but she was lost as a bebe and uh, so became a forest girl who was raised by the trees. Um, she came out pretty good, mm-hmm. if you ask me. Yep. Uh, so maybe we should all be raised by the trees. I'm in. And uh, Dagda is like, okay, so I am going to be able to bring Rhea back to life because the two of you are so connected and you also held on to her spirit. And you know what? She's got a great spirit, so it's strong. Yeah. And I can put it back. He brings Rhea back. That's very lovely. And then he gives Merlin a, an elixir that will save his mother from her impending shadow death. They get out of the other world, they find Bumblewee, and then Shim, their giant friend, who I didn't mention earlier, but showed up to help fast travel them. Um, And he shows up to fast travel them again and takes them all the way back to the other side of Finkaira, where his mama is about to die, but he pours the elixir in her mouth just as the moon fades and the sun rises and then... The color returns to her cheeks and mother and son and daughter are together for the first time in many, many years. Yeah. And then Merlin's like, okay, now I'll go finish the Dark Hills. I and thought everyone's like, okay. I right? thought I thought the whole thing would just kind of like slide into the ocean since he wasn't doing his duty, but it turns out it was like completely fine. <laughs> Like, the way they talked about it made it seem like it was going to be really bad if he didn't do it. He gives the harp away. That's what happens. Um, He gives it to Talian and Garlotha, um, who have a beautiful garden in the plains. But then he says, I will take it myself for a while. I have some unfinished work to do in the Dark Hills. Okay. So, yeah, he is going to finish, thankfully. (laughs) You can tell we were both a little irritated. supposed to be doing the whole time. Plot point. And that's the end. Okay. I did it. Yay. And now, please, Madeline, old and new impressions. 
So I really loved, I think there were only like four or five of them when I was younger. I know I read all of them. I don't remember them that well. Um, but I do remember really liking this book. And uh, I remember empathizing more with uh, Merlin and his supreme stubbornness mm-hmm. and his refusal to do what other people are telling him to do. Mm-hmm. It was more of just like a, yeah, like you do what you want to do. Stick it to the man. Guy. <laughs> what do these people know? Um, versus this time I was like waving my fist in the air like, Merlin, you're so stupid. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, but it, it makes sense that as adults we would be mm-hmm. much more irritated by him. Yeah, but to be fair, he's still a thirteen-year-old, and these mm-hmm. people are heaping like so much responsibility on him. Yeah. So, like, I can't blame him that much. Uh, it's also classic second book protagonist mm, syndrome. Yeah, where in the first book they become uh, this is the hero's journey. They become aware of their burgeoning potential. Mm-hmm. Second book, they're resentful. Of that potential and the responsibility that's they been have placed on them. Hubris. Mm, that's right. Such hubris. Such hubris. <laughs> um, I did see that coming. I, I guess as an adult, I felt more like it was unfair because like pissed at him because mm-hmm. he was being stupid the whole time, but also just kept being like, he's a child. <laughs> he's literally a it's child. A lot. Yeah. yeah. And he's already got a heap of trauma to work through. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts the book and I had forgotten this um, by reflecting on the fact that he has lost his eyesight mm-hmm. and his face is horribly scarred. Um, but he has his second sight since he's yeah, a wizard guy. Um, um, and I get why he was like really desperate to bring his mother there because she's like the only friend that he's ever had. And he has a lot of guilt because... Except for Rhea. Sure. I meant for like a lot of his life. Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so he was looking for that stability and he was also mad at Rhea at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, because she was also trying to get him to do his gosh dang job. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I get that also he has a lot of guilt because he was pretty awful to her yeah. um, when he was growing up. So like now that he like accepts that she's actually his mother and feels really bummed mm-hmm. that she got kicked out of Finkyra, mm-hmm. um, brings her there. I did think it was pretty funny <laughs> She immediately, immediately gets cursed and poisoned. And um, I love that Rita Gar, when he's doing Gower, when he's doing his villain monologuing later, is like, you immediately brought a human to Finkyra, which you know is against the rules. Like, you know that that can't happen and that you, because you're half human, are mm-hmm. going to have to leave at some point. So, yeah. like, yeah, I sent a little death shroud, okay? <laughs> death shroud. <laughs> Um, I, and I, he definitely, Merlin does have a romantic interest in later books. I foggily remember Mm. that. Um, well, and he's hot for, um, Numi or whatever her name is. Numi who steals Um, stuff from him. (laughs) (laughs) There's like a very cute girl in bread town who is a mysterious figure who was like Mm -hmm. saved from the woods. Yeah, I feel like she's going to come back. Yeah. Um but yeah, and I there's there's really a <laughs> 
I remember being very pissed when I was a kid when suddenly, because, you know, I was always shipping people. Funny I still, little Madeline. I still ship people so hard. And I was even shipping Merlin and Rhea a little bit this time. And uh, because I forgot that they're siblings. And then when it came you, as a shock to me. Yeah. I thought they were about to profess their love for each other in yep. that moment yep, that yep, she was about yep. to say, I love you or I'm in love with you. Um, and she's like, I'm your sister. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Hard left. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I I guess when I was a kid, I was pissed because I was always waiting for there to, like, be a romantic relationship and, like, spicy stuff. Um, and as an adult, I was just, like, <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was pretty funny. And uh, I do love the... The pacing of this book is is pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Um, the key doesn't start to get the seven songs until we're almost halfway through the book. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of supposed to be like the main quest after he kills the other main quest. Yeah. He rejects it. Yeah. <laughs> quest failed. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's three parts in the book. Part one is just him like shirking mm-hmm. and um, attempting to get to his mom and also like ignoring everyone around him. Alienating everyone. Yeah. Part two <laughs> is the songs. And then part three is him like going into the other, other land, mm-hmm. other world. Yeah. I do really like the mechanic of get song glowy light on staff as we've discussed already. I thought that was like Perfect. pretty cute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No notes. And it was also funny because I was starting to get a little nervous when he didn't even get the first song until like mm-hmm. 40% of the way through the book. And then and the clock is ticking the whole time. Or should I say the moon is waning? The moon is mooning. <laughs> yeah, the moon is mooning. <laughs> and then I remembered that it's, they're actually like very easy to get. Yeah. He, he just, just has stumbles to get like into little them. lessons mm-hmm. or whatnot. They're not like all grand quests. <laughs> Which the written book hilariously um, like italicizes <laughs> when he says the words that are the soul of the song. It's in italics. Then. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. Okay. Something that you wouldn't have seen since you listened to the audiobook. Um. And I found Bumblewee to be incredibly endearing, mm-hmm. even though I definitely hated him when I was a kid and read these. <laughs> you useless, like, dour man. Um, yeah, he has a perfect character for a young reader to hate yeah. and a, an adult reader to actually be able to see the humor in. Yeah, yeah, no, he's so funny and it cracked, like I actually laughed a couple times with like Bubblewee will start to speak and Merlin will just be like, no! <laughs> Shut up! There's this one time where he's trying to introduce himself to someone they come across and he's like I am the bard of and Merlin interrupts him and is like nothing. <laughs> so mean to him yeah and bumblewee just kind of takes it because he's like aware of the fact that he sucks yeah yeah that's one of his, that's like his great pain yeah that he's terrible at what he is meant to do and he can't even remember the riddle about the bells i know he keeps trying to tell a riddle about bells and they're finally like okay we got to go just do it what man. is it and yeah. he can't come up with it there's like people have been stopping me from saying it my whole life i don't remember it <laughs> uh, he was reminding me of um the character from weird sisters who is forced 
into gesturing because his family mm. is like a long held jester family. Remember? Okay. And he has to go to like yeah. the horrible jester school and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's not his nature. Yeah. And yeah, I adore the song that he sings that makes the dragon laugh just like about how Merlin is going to die. It's like death is near. <laughs> you will go. <laughs> so amazing it's really good yeah but i i we stand a goth emo bad jester <laughs> it's yeah i the chorus is oh dragon tis my friend you eat <laughs> alas how sweet the dragon's meat <laughs> uh. And I also remember being pissed that he can save Rhea and his mom, but Trouble doesn't get to come back. I love Trouble. I'm such a sucker for like a fierce little sassy hawk character um, in a fantasy book. The hawk from Spindle's End Mm. is like my all-time favorite. And I still want like a really metal tattoo of the hawk plummeting to the ground Do to it. its death. Do um it. that's yeah. awesome. Like down a whole leg or something. Be yeah. Really cool. Um yeah, and trouble is so good. So I, I relished the time we did get to spend with him. And like I also recognize that I think as an author, when you're like playing the bringing characters back from death game, you're like, okay, but I have to keep it all light hands with somewhere this. <laughs> or death has no meaning. There have to be stakes. Yeah. 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 Uh, and yeah, so now Merlin and Rhea know that they're twins. <laughs> Whatever vibes there were can go away, please. <laughs> well, yeah. And like, okay, I, you know, my old new impression is I had not read this book. Yeah, I had not read um, this book. So I, one of my, one of my big impressions is their relationship and the line that T.A. Barron has to walk with it. So let's just go into romantic realism. Um, am I, I'm not wrong in thinking that there were vibes. I thought there were vibes. I, like I said, I did not remember that they were siblings. There was this one particular passage, because I do think T.A. Barron I think he does a pretty good job of like, this is such a classically difficult thing to represent the, uh, the bond of like loving, um, you know, brotherhood, sisterhood, like very close undying friendship. I'll lay my life down for you. That's so present in classic fantasy. Like that's a very Tolkienian trope. No, that's true. Um, and there's a reason that like, when the Lord of the Rings movies came out, there was an entire website called The Very Secret Diaries that was written by Cassandra Clare, who is now a very popular author um, that was just like slash fanfic about (laughs) all of the male characters in the series because they are very loving and doting with one another. And there's there's lots of like long embraces. Yeah, there's a physical component to the friendship as well. Um, and lots of close looks and long held glances, but it doesn't necessarily translate to something sexual. No. Um, and I totally get that, but like, 
like I said, Tia Brand does a pretty good job with it, but it's also just inherently difficult. They're both teenagers. They're both like cuties. Um, there's one passage in particular that where, where I felt this was a misstep um, narratively where Merlin is describing Rhea's clothing and saying like, I had really never appreciated her garb so closely. Like, the patterns along her collarbone and all this mm. stuff. And I was like, he's just ogling her. Yeah. Back up, back um, up. <laughs> yeah. And I get that what was actually happening is that they're, they were in like the burned out crevasse of the area where the dragon lived. So he was appreciating the, the vines and the nature and the vitality that like she's bringing because mm. she's a little wood girl with like leaves in her hair. Yeah. Um, but it really read, I, it really read like he was just, yeah, looking at her body very closely. Um, yeah. So I don't know. How do, how do you do that and not make it feel romantic? Because I was stunned, like I said, when the brother-sister thing is revealed. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have anything else to say about it. <laughs> It's a pickle. I guess that's that's what I'm. That's the conclusion I'm arriving at. Like it's just inherently difficult, um, and there is a clear difference in the way that Merlin does talk about the girl he is attracted to um, in Breadtown mm-hmm. um, before she like steals his stuff. It was hilarious when she was like, "Let me help you make some bread. Oh, let's put this stuff somewhere yeah. safe," and just like groping her hand out for it. And I was like, no, <laughs> don't give me stuff. <laughs> um, but then there was also some language from someone else later that seemed to imply that she's sort of like a, I don't know, it felt a little like hussy shaming. Um, yeah, that were, she like charms they were, Yeah, they were like, she gets, she's gotten more than one thing out of a man that he didn't want to part with. It's <laughs> like, oh, like okay. like, It's also like, she's also a teenager. Like, so that all was a little little concerning to me um and I just want to give new me I don't even know if I'm getting her name right um I want to give her some credit because it seems like she's had a tough life like she was abandoned in the woods um and so you know brought into Breadtown, which is a pretty soft place to land um but it, it seems like she's very still, soft yeah a little red <laughs> very fluffy um and but it seems like she's an outsider there yeah um and if you are in Breadtown, which is uh such a special place but also one where they're like they're really wary of outsiders that's like one of their main components as a c- culture <laughs> like mm-hmm. and it's hard to tell exactly why but I, I think it's mostly the bread secrets and yeah, they don't want them to steal their bread the bread secrets getting out that's that's their thing <laughs> <laughs> um my other my other main impression uh yeah like I mentioned was really the like gamey structure mm-hmm. um but it made for a really fun read um and i think this is a great book for a reluctant young reader hmm. like i think this is one that would pull you in the the hard thing is they have to read the first book first because um, going into this without knowing the events of the first book i think you'd be uh, pretty lost it's not one of those series where you can kind of drop in and have a standalone adventure yeah um because old characters like mads said do pop up very frequently um and and it's fun and like when shim shows up it's a real delight i was very happy when he's shim like i is giant yeah. now <laughs> um, 
sound is very cute. Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to make him sound bumblewee-ish. <laughs> He's much more fun. Than that. <laughs> um, and like Care Prey, um, who's the actually, you know, wise, good bard. Um, and uh, uh, Trouble is the most important key callback character. And I had I realized how much I had missed how Trouble would communicate with Merlin by um, like piercing his shoulder with his talons. <laughs> what's what's a little bloodletting between friends, right? Which was uh, like both very funny, but then also Trouble was such a good indicator of when Trouble was close. Um, yeah. Actual actual danger. <laughs> Hard not to notice when a, a bird of prey digs its talons into your tendon. Completely. And I love that Merlin gets that little sense memory of like, and I, I felt the talons just gripping my flesh in a way <laughs> that they hadn't in quite some time. And it also harkens back to the, this is a beautiful thing from this series that I really love that humans have a pain between their shoulder blades because that's where their wings. wings were. Yeah. Or Finkyrans, not humans. That's right. Right. Or is it humans? I don't remember, but maybe that's why Because Finkyra is like a magical in between land. It's not earth. That must be why I have so much pain in my neck and shoulders. Yeah. Not Madeline, from anxiety. Your <laughs> scoliosis is because you're, you're really missing your wings and you have like a closer connection to that history than the rest of us. My lower back wings. <laughs> <laughs> Which are definitely less sexy than shoulder blade wings. No, I know. I'm picturing someone flying like with their head and arms and legs all just kind of dangling down and like little butt wings just like do do do. There must be a reason there hasn't been a lot of artistic depiction of butt wings. I mean, I really want to draw that now, honestly. <laughs> All right, we'll put Madeline's butt wings up on our Instagram. Madeline's butt wings. <laughs> Dragon Baby's podcast. That's our handle. So overall, a very fun book. I agree. Like To talk about Bumblewee a little bit. I, I loved his songs. They were super funny. He had a very weird physicality that was mentioned a lot throughout the book that I didn't feel like I'd seen before and that he was described as being so dour that his, the way I imagine it is like his face is just like fully recessed into his neck. So he mm -hmm. has like lots and lots of chins. Yeah. Um, because Merlin keeps mentioning like all of his chins frowning or vibrating. Or yeah. Whatever. Um, and so like, I couldn't stop thinking about how bizarre this person must have been. Yeah. Um, and I think he does, I mean, he actually does really carry a true wisdom with him. Um, although it's also just very funny that he keeps insisting that Shim is going to eat him, even though it's like, did you not like notice how friendly and helpful this yeah. giant is? Like he's not interested in crushing you. Um, Bumblewee also had a bit of a gurgy energy to him, yeah. um, which is just something I'm always going to be craving. Of course, no one can be gurgy. Um, gurgy is the absolute best. <laughs> a goat. Um, gurgy of the Black Cauldron, um, of course. Loyal listeners know. Crunch, <laughs> crunchings and munchings. Crunchings and munchings. Um, and uh, yeah, he was, he was just a perfect foil to all the more like serious stuff that's going on throughout the book. Yeah. Because I think it, inherent in the challenge of making like YA centered 
Arthurian legend based fantasy is like it would be very easy for that to get into the realm of being very self-serious mm. um and kind of boring you know what I mean yeah. um and like just really all about the legend and I think T.A. Barron does a really really nice job with making these characters his own and developing a more fun and appealing like basis for that world for that Arthurian world um, and getting at some of the like goofy opportunities of like a young boy realizing that he, you know, has magic for the first time and like yeah. all the, the moodiness that's going to come with that and the mistakes and him shirking his larger main quest, his responsibility, um, yeah, and I appreciate that you talked about the sympathy that you gained for him because I was very annoyed with him reading this as an adult um, and I need to be a little kinder to young Merlin. He's been through a lot. <laughs> He's just a babe. He's a little baby. <laughs> He's just a baby and and I I totally recognize now what you're saying about like his regrets with his mom and that he really feels that he needs to put those right and tell her how much he appreciates her. Yeah. Um, and like realizing that at a young age is a big thing too. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Good job, Merlin. I'm sorry that I was mean to you in my head. That's fine. We can be a little mean to him. <laughs> That's a treat. You can have a little cruelty. That's a treat. <laughs> so animals, just like animals in this book. Animals. There are some cuties. Yeah. These books are very, they're very nature focused. Tia Baron is a conservationist. We talked a little bit about yeah. um, his contributions. And in that comes our last through episode. so much in his work, like the true love of the natural world. It really does. And it makes sense that Rhea is such an energizing force because she is so of the forest. Mm -hmm. And, I felt very soothed by the all too brief period when Merlin is actually using the flowering harp. <laughs> yeah. It was nice. It I was, was really like, nice. I could read about this for a long time, genuinely. <laughs> nope. Like, <laughs> nope, absolutely not. Um, it, it was pretty funny because I was like settling in for some really good hill revitalization. <laughs> then it was like, and the harp shall not be used. Again. Yeah, we're, we're done. We're done. It's going away. <laughs> It's also very funny when they're both being tempted by the death flower um, and they're both looking at it and being like, oh, it's so nice. It's so beautiful. And Elaine, is that how her name is pronounced? Ellen? Elaine? His mom? Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. And Elaine, Elaine. Um, oh, it's Elaine. Elaine. Yeah. Okay. And Elaine is like, it's a perfect flower. And Merlin's like, well, I made it. So obviously it is. And she's like, well, better sniff it. And then she's like, RIP. Death. <laughs> <laughs> that was the moment where I really fell in love with Bumblewee because immediately he's like, oh, it's going to be, oh, the death is coming and it will be misery. <laughs> And it will be so horrible. You can't imagine what this death shade is going to bring to the endless suffering. And that's so when Merlin's great. like, okay, you're not going to stay with her. You're actually going to come with me. Just yeah, so because he doesn't want him to be like near her. Have some peace in her, you know, potentially dying month. <laughs> like, just... And Bumblewee is just like, okay. <laughs> and she is left with no one but a big eyed squirrel to take care of her. <laughs> 
when they come back, I was like, oh, so she's just been wasting away while a squirrel like watches her. That's Stares at her. <laughs> maybe someone else should have stayed. <laughs> but it's okay. It all works out. She's fine now. Um, anyway, the squirrel is one of the animals <laughs> I did want to mention. There's also a really good, weird thing. Um, it's called a char. So they're climbing up rocks at one point and Rhea's like, look, a char. And he turns and says, I found a light brown kitten-like animal yeah. basking in the sunshine. Like a cat, it lay curled up in a little ball, purring quietly. Unlike a cat, it had a pointed snout lined with soft whiskers and two paper-thin wings folded across its back. The delicate wings fluttered with every purr. Very cute. There's so much um, just in fantasy in general, like winged cats, and it's... It's fun to think about because wings mm-hmm. would really suit cats. Although then the birds would all die. We would have no birds left. If cats had wings. In the world. No. Yeah. And also my home would be in ruins. <laughs> There's four cats in here. And they are all quite spirited. Let me tell you. Yeah. Um, we just got a Christmas tree last week and after we set it up, two of the cats, they're, they're about a year and a half old and they've never seen a Christmas tree before. And all four of the cats went and sat at like equal intervals around the tree, Mm. just staring (laughs) at it. And it was like, they were having some sort of cat ritual, um, and it was so bizarre. They did that for a long time. Just, and they never all four like hang out together um, in that way. They were having some sort of like cat. I think something powerful happened. Yeah. And now I feel like the tree is blessed and yeah. I'm like both scared of it and in awe of it. <laughs> cat tree now. Cat tree. But the shar ends up being a demon, <laughs> like a shape-shifting yeah, demon. Yeah, it's not actually who a Who really messes them up. But yeah. um, I, I did take note of a world in which there are shars. And that's one of the, the other beautiful, fun pieces about Finkaira. Like, it's so filled with these fascinating little objects and creatures. And there's, like, beautiful, super sweet berries everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that T.A. Baron just infuses a lot of whimsy, which I yeah. which I did enjoy. Yeah, that's true. Um, yeah, but there there isn't, like, an animal sidekick for most of the story until Trouble shows up at the end, which also feels respectful to Trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he can't, instead of he just can't replacing Trouble right away. Yeah, I mean, yeah. he's why Merlin is named... Merlin. Merlin, yeah. Oh. After a little hawk. No animal companion, just Bumblebee. <laughs> yeah, he's the animal <laughs> companion. <laughs> Pretend food. Pretend food. There are, you know, the food in these books, it's not like satisfying in the way that I typically expect fantasy food to be because you really don't have feasts or you know great hall tables laden with complicated dishes Mm -hmm. it's very natural and given by the forest you know it's it's foraged um it's lots of berries and nuts and Rhea is very knowledgeable about foraging and about what foods are sweet and what are sour um poisonous And she has this great line early on 
when she says, okay, so <laughs> they're eating, they're eating some berries. And Merlin says, what if you eat so many tart berries that you haven't any room left for sweet ones? And she turns, she turned to me, her cheeks as packed with berries as the squirrels would be with acorns. Mmph, she said with a swallow. In that case, I guess it would have to be a day for tart berries, not sweet ones. But that little voice tells me there are some sweeter ones here. It's a matter of having trust in the berries. Trust in the berries. And that comes up again and again throughout the book. And I loved that. I thought this was a great turn of phrase and a way to characterize Rhea. Um, I thought this was really well done. Whenever she's talking about her instincts and she's telling Merlin that shady character is actually dangerous or like that otter that's telling us to tie you up is not, does not have our best interests in mind. God, that otter. And she always says, it's the berries. Like, trust in the berries. These are my berries. My berries are don't trust this otter. (laughs) Um, And I just thought that that was some really brilliant characterization. I, I I think that might've been like one of the stupidest things that Merlin did. Like, Oh, you met this sinister stranger. Let's, let's completely tie myself up. He's also like swimming in this terrifying lake that shows you your death. Yep. And makes it unable for you to look away. Yep. Like yep. how in what world is that a helpful dude, a guide? Yeah, just just remember guys, don't if you meet a suspicious stranger, if you meet an otter <laughs> and it's in the lake of the face, maybe don't let him tie you up. Don't listen when he says to spend hours tying up the protagonist with vines. Yep. Yep. You always leave a note. <laughs> So I, I always love Rhea's berries and they, they, in the last book, there were like these ridiculous fruit trees mm-hmm. where everything was like in technicolor and different shapes and they all have different flavors. And we got a little bit of that berry fun here as well. Yeah. Um, okay. I highlighted this with my pretend food color um, accidentally, but I do need to share this song <laughs> that Bumblewee sings to cheer them up. They're not feeling good. Um, They're not finding what they need. The quest is taking too long. And um, they're just generally grumpy. This is before he realizes how to get at the soul of the songs. And Bumblewee says, I could sing you a song if you like. Something light and cheery. Life's unending curse. (laughs) It could be far worse. Yet I'm full of glee. None gladder than me. Though death fills the air, I do not despair. It could be far worse. Life's unending curse. (laughs) And the ending is far worse it could be. So much worse than now. Just don't ask me how. (laughs) Which is such a a perfect cheer me up song. It's so good. Can I hear a bumblebee (laughs) suggest her to follow me around? (laughs) Yeah, don't explain it to anyone. <laughs> it can be like a sort of take on it follows, but it's Bumblebee. <laughs> and he doesn't kill you. He just like just follows you. Glooms up the yeah. room with his little bell hat. Yep. He loses his hat at the end too. He does. Yeah. And then he's like, I don't even have a hat anymore. How can I I'm, be a jester? I'm nothing. Yeah. <laughs> 
there's also a whole part where they're fish for a while. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't even yep. mention this. I felt like that was a, a callback to that animated one. Oh, totally. To the Disney Sword in the Stone. Yeah. Um, which, yeah, I don't know if we've talked about that on the podcast. We should cover that on the Babe Trion because I was obsessed with that movie. You were. Yeah, I thought it was scary. And it was a classic 90s kids situation where the version that we had was taped off of TV. Yes. Um, and it had all the commercials. Yes. I would give anything to have that tape to to watch it Time again and capsule. see all those commercials yeah. that I memorized because I watched it so many times but I think it actually wore out um I don't think it as, as VHS is did well it's sometimes if it got stuck and then the film came out yeah. and then you're a little kids the you tape keep pulling it like, and oh no <laughs> <laughs> it's getting worse <laughs> Oh, these arcane technologies of ours. Um, Although I will still, I'd still take a VHS over a DVD in a lot of ways because our DVDs got scratched to hell. Yeah, no, I feel like VHSs were probably sturdier than DVDs. I'm all digital now. I don't. And we, and we, you know, as, as any good, um, teen would kept our DVDs and, you know, random stacks on top of the TV. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Bumblebee. What were we talking about? Pretend food. <laughs> Pretend food. <laughs> okay, yeah. So I do think that is a callback to them, uh, the fish scene in Sword in the Stone, it which is like a delight. Oh yeah. my god, I really want to watch Sword in the Stone. We should cover it. Um, maybe in January we could do that for the Babe Trion. That sounds fun. Um, we just covered The Hobbit on our Babe Trion, the nineteen seventy seven film. Iconic. Um, Absolutely. No. Yeah. I highly recommend, um, you know, if you want, you can subscribe just for one month, $3. You can listen to all the episodes and then unsubscribe. Grace, <laughs> don't tell them that. <laughs> that's what you need. But we have a whole year of backlog. So I, I think our babe Trion is popping. So check it out for yourself. Check it. When they are fish, they eat as fish do. One of those virtues was discovering the great amount of food that the sea could provide. Why, the sea was really one enormous floating feast. Day after day, I ate enough insects, eggs, and worms to feel bloated. Rhea, for her part, proved adept at catching tasty little crayfish, while Bumblebee drew the line at worms. Even he tasted many of the sea's strange delicacies. And I was like, okay, Bumblebee, like, way to maintain your humanity, even (laughs) as a fish, and be like, I can be discerning. Yeah, (laughs) it's okay. I'm not allowing myself that. Um, And then when they turn back into humans, Merlin's like, I'm going to miss those little white worms. And Grace, reading that, was like, Mm. gross. Mm. Don't Mm. like. Little white worms. Um, Even reading this, I'm not into it. Yeah. They have... You know, a variety of other questing foods, shaggy mushrooms, wild apples, crescent nuts, some random eggs that they find in nests, which, ooh, (laughs) those are fertilized eggs. (laughs) And then they find something called an astral flower, which is like a traveler's food. Um, And you just eat the flower. Yeah, it's a fistful of stems that you like roll up into a ball and then eat it. It has a sweet yet sharp flavor, almost like burned honey, Um, which... Sounds great. Yeah, no. Like a take on dandelions is what I was kind of thinking, but sweeter, of course. Yeah, dandelions taste not good. 
um, when Merlin is laboring over his black stone that he's trying to chip a cage into or something. Um, all he eats is thick, smoky porridge provided by the dwarves, which I could, I could mess with that. Smoky porridge. <laughs> <laughs> and because Rhea can talk to bees, they get to eat some honeycomb from time mm. to time as they're traveling, which I also really enjoyed. Yeah, it's nice with bees. And then, you know, we've, we've already talked about Breadtown at length, obviously, um, the Valley of the Slantos, uh, but I want to live there. And the other day I was just, you know, we each have our like one food thing that, that you would, if you had to like choose above all else. Mm. And it's easily breads for me, like baked things. Is this like, regardless of health, what mm-hmm. the one food that you would want to eat all the time if mm-hmm. you could choose? Mm-hmm. Um, boba. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> And and just like two inches of the tea and then all the rest is just a solid block of squishies. That makes me feel bad. (laughs) I like boba, but I need it to be like fairly sparse or I get overwhelmed. I I I love that. I know you feel differently. I love that stuff. It's the perfect texture. Changed my mind. I am one of those... I'm one of those losers who will like throw away the last like bit of... (gasps) Give it to the me. The pearls, because I don't want them all. Oh I my need God. my textures to be like evenly distributed. That's I, that's fair. We all have our own texture we hangups. Do. We do. Yeah. <laughs> but in the the Slantos's village, he Merlin remembers eating the ambrosia bread and how it's a stiff wooden hard crust that you bite bite into and then you chew it vigorously and it explodes with zesty flavor, which is such a weird description he also says it tastes minty in the first book if i'm remembering correctly because we like puzzled over this for a while so i won't do it again maybe (laughs) it can be different flavors though yeah i I think it is a sort of magical bread in its way there's definitely like more than just flour that's going into the slantos's breads if you catch my draft (laughs) when you say it that way (laughs) no it just seems like weed bread sort of I don't know it just the way that it like yeah it seems like it's got gives it. you good vibes yeah yeah <laughs> um but also like vigor and energy so maybe not weed bread something I think there's something in there coke bread <laughs> <laughs> okay that's enough of that um when they first get to the village they're like okay how cute all of the houses look like loaves of bread yeah. they have like little golden rounded Tops. That was yeah. amazing. Um, I'm also just like extra bread pilled right now because I just watched the Great British Baking Show finale. Did you say you're extra season. bread pilled? Bread pilled. That's great. Yes, that's great. Bread Love pilled. that. Love that. And then they go up to the Golden Fountain where everyone's just pouring ingredients into the vents around the base. And then the fountain is mixing the dough and the starter on its own. Um, I, I couldn't quite get the visual because the dough would be so sticky um, that it wouldn't be able to like flow. But that's why I thought maybe it was just starter and not actually prepared dough i know nobody else cares about this but home bakers will know (laughs) the thought of putting dough in a fountain is kind of brain breaking yeah yeah no i i thought it was starter as well 
okay, here's another moment where I felt the romance between them. (laughs) Without any hesitation, both of us bit into the crusts as the warm, chewy bread touched our tongues, tasting of corn and butter and dill, Mm. yum, and many things more. Our gazes met. Ria's eyes sparkled like the ocean sky at sunshine, sunrise. Mm. Right? Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I won't get into that anymore. (laughs) Then um, just a couple more things. We've got when Shim is carrying them, he blows on the boughs of an apple tree so that the apples rain down into his hand and then they can have some food to eat during their travels, which was very cute. And I would like an apple delivered to me on a giant's breath. And then when they're with the dragon... I thought this was pretty cool. The dragon had a skull on one of his giant claws and then in his sleep sniffed it and then crunched it. It yeah. was like, mm, like so mm, delicious. Yummy, a little skull snack. <laughs> <laughs> and then, you know, final pretend food. Um, I'm going to give the honor to the piece of Merlin's boot. A short passage. No, I have a promise to keep. With that, I sunk my teeth into the leather leather tongue of the boot. I ripped a section loose and chewed vigorously. No amount of chewing could soften the leather, though it did fill my mouth with the flavors of dirt, grass, and perspiration. Mm. With great difficulty, I swallowed. Yikes. Gross. And as we both said, stop eating your boot. And Bumblewee says that. He's like, that's enough. You may need that boot. Yeah. And then he almost giggles. Bumblebee almost giggles. Good job, Merlin. So Merlin got his uh, got his boot eating. He did it, he did it for a, re- a real reason. Okay, shall we select our badass ladies? Yes. Do you want to go first or should I? Um, I think we're both gonna pick Bumblebee. Yeah. <laughs> so I'll pick for both of us. <laughs> No, and I don't mean to discount Rhea. I think she's really amazing. No, yeah. Um, I just love Bumblewee. <laughs> but and Bumblewee Bumblewee to me reads as pretty uh gender neutral, actually, mm, in a lot okay. of ways, which I'm really into. Yeah. He's like our non-binary jester king <laughs> or queen. I feel like that's even more bard like. Totally. Mm. Yeah, yes. No. You exist for the story. Yeah. <laughs> you exist to tell tales. Your body has no other function. <laughs> so my rating for Bumblebee is going to be a new hat with three times as many bells on it so that he can be even more obnoxious and jangly. And when they're sneaking around during an important quest in a key moment, he can like drop his hat and wake up the entire valley. <laughs> My rating for Bumblewee is an audience that appreciates him for what his content is because I think it's actually really great. <laughs> yeah, he needs he definitely needs um just like the right marketing campaign mm-hmm. and then he'll find his true audience. Yeah. He'll he'll find his fans. Yeah. They're definitely out there. I think He's so. like a sad clown sort of you know, jester. Yeah. Um, and we, we talked a lot about sad clowns on another episode recently. Carton quitter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like we're primed, we are ready. And if you tell me that the through line between Carton quitter and the seven songs of Merlin was a sad clown, I'd be like, I dig that. <laughs> 
So I think that's everything for the Seven Songs of Merlin, a.k.a. the Seven Songs colon book two, uh, and then in parentheses, Merlin. That really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> that's, that's a great name. By T.A. Barron. Thank you so much for listening, for being lovely listeners, for being lovely people, I assume. <laughs> <laughs> We like you. And from what, everything I've seen from our listener interactions, you are always lovely. We, like we mentioned, we've got the Babetreon, um, patreon.com backslash dragon babies. If you'd like to join $3 a month, we've got some good stuff cooking over there. You can find us on Instagram at dragon babies podcast. I have ceased posting on Twitter. Um, gonna work on getting a TikTok up soon. That's my... That's my plan for this coming month. So all you TikTokers, get in it. I've never used TikTok, so it's going to be funny. (laughs) I'm actually figuring out how to use TikTok because I have an Instagram art account that you should check out. Pig and Doodles, P-I-G-N, as in Nancy, D-O-O-D-L-E-S. I feel like it's such a difficult name to translate. No, I just love hearing you spell it. (laughs) I want them to find me. Respect to Nancy. (laughs) Um... I do all kinds of art lately, just nonstop Baldur's Gate Baldur's fan Gate. art. Um, but if you're into that or just like other spooky nature kind of like horror type art. And I also like drawing cute animals. Check me out. Uh, I have a TikTok of the same name, which, as I said, I'm trying to grow. Uh, I'm working on it. So I like it. The stuff I'm posting right now is pretty funny because I'm <laughs> figuring it out. I mean, I, I just openly admitted that our TikTok doesn't even exist yet. <laughs> and that when it does, it will be bad. <laughs> so. It will be a powerhouse. All good. Um, All good. Yeah. So check out check out our socials. Also, I wanted to mention this. T.A. Barron has a podcast called Magic and Mountains, the oh, T.A. Barron podcast. Yeah. Um, I haven't listened to it, but it looks really cute. There's yeah. a picture of him in a hat with some woods behind him just being like, yay. Oh. He seems like a real sweetie. Yeah. Um, so yeah, check check that out if you guys want uh, some more insight into the man behind the book. We announce our next episodes on Instagram, so make sure you're following us there. We'll announce the next one soon. Probably just going to be one episode after this in December um, because of the holidays, but we'll see you then. Yes, we will. I'm Grace. And I'm Madeline. Until next time. Goodbye.